so I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Dinosaurs eat men. Woman inherits the earth. Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. Things in the air, Kristen. Yeah. Lord, please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Kimberly. Hello, everybody. It's episode 80 of Citizen Dame, the podcast that I'm fairly certain is just going to be a thirst trap this whole episode. I regret nothing. As always, I'm your host, Kristen Lopez, with Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. And Karen Peterson. Oh, yeah. Karen (laughs) is. Karen Karen doesn't feel good, but she is persevering. She is the Cameron to. I don't know if I'd say I'm Ferris, but she is the Cameron just in general right now. Hey. (laughs) Wait a minute. I need to watch that movie again. But before we get into that, Lauren, do you like supporting female creative content? I do like supporting female creative content. You said that far more confidently than I thought you would in my head when I pitched this idea <laughs> of promoting Patreon on at the top of the podcast. So I was I had like it in my head that you would be like, yes. <laughs> but you gotta tell do me you want to get beforehand. Exactly. Exactly. I don't. I just said we were gonna do this. Do you like getting free stuff for supporting women? Yes. <gasps> so much confidence. Well, we all know, but everybody else should know that you should support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash citizen dame. We have all sorts of stuff. We get the episodes out two days early when we record them. Uh, and we have a wealth of bonus stuff, including our upcoming Man from Uncle episode. And Karen and I do critiques in the car, and it's awesome. So, yeah, that's that was my skit. It came out a lot better in my head, but it's patreon.com slash citizen dame. And Just to remind everybody, in case you didn't know on Twitter, we are actually giving out a massive prize pack. And by prize pack, it means stuff that I've had in my house that I thought you guys would all want because I have no room. Um, So we have a contest going on called hashtag what's in the bag. Karen, what do you think is in the bag? Um, I I don't know because I wasn't prepared ahead of time to come up with something really funny. There are no wrong answers. I mean... I know you've been fostering kittens. Is it a bag of kittens? It might be. It might be. Lauren, what do you think is in the bag? I think that someone on Twitter guessed Anne Hathaway, which I quite like. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, all you have to do to enter is just retweet the post, which we will be retweeting throughout the next couple of months, uh, and give us a guess. What do you think is in the bag? It is a nice, shiny, golden bag that I got from the Hustle screening. And that is all you know. I don't know what is in it. I do know what's in it because I filled it. But you are welcome to guess. Is it, as other people have mentioned, a lock of Army Hammer's hair? I don't know. Is it Richard Madden? It might be. I mean, if it was, though, I would be giving it all to you. So, yeah, that's what you have to do. And we're giving away some awesome stuff uh, to thank everybody for listening. That's open to both patrons and 
all you regular listeners out there. So definitely get on it if you haven't already, as long as you live in the U.S. I hate to say that, but international shipping is murder, and we can't afford it yet. So uh, yeah, definitely check it out. Moving on to actual podcast stuff. Uh, where do we want to start today? Karen, actually, I know you wanted to gush about this, uh, and we want to start with some positivity, but Patty Jenkins, honorary dame Patty Jenkins, uh, showed us the first Wonder Woman 1984 poster. I am in love with this poster. It is now my home screen and my lock screen on my phone because it's so damn cool. Um... The reason I wanted to talk about it is because a bunch of boys got all upset about it, and I thought that was so ridiculous and stupid, and um, so I, that's what I really wanted to talk about, is boys being stupid again. Um, but first, let's just talk about the glorious, glorious Technicolor of that poster, and how it just, I don't think I've seen anything that felt so 80s in such a long time. I love that she dropped it in the midst of Pride, which yes. just says so much about her. Um, and it's beautiful. I mean, I think we all agreed it's it's a work of art. I believe Karen and I both have it as our cell phone backgrounds in some degree. Um, Lauren, have you put the Wonder Woman 1984 poster on your cell phone? Uh, no, I have not, although I love the poster. I thought that it was fabulous. You do know that if you um... don't have it on your phone, that makes you not a woman. I'm thinking, uh-huh. okay. I'm thinking it's a requirement. Um, no, it's it's beautiful, though. I, I think we all, I know I complain about movie posters just looking like they were obviously photoshopped in, you know, somebody's computer. It's obvious you can tell that the characters were not present that day as a group. Um, but I totally believe that Gal Gadot is in some shiny golden armor in the midst of this awesome Technicolor neon background that looks like a Nicholas Winding Refn movie had a seizure. Um, I I love it. I love it so much. I love that she's, I, like, she's just standing there, but she just looks so fierce and ready to take on the world. And it's just, it's such an empowering shot, I think. It's, it looks great. Well, and Jenkins also said that um, they're not going to be at comic-con this year uh warners is not doing a whole lot of uh film stuff at at comic-con and so she also announced that the official i guess press tour for it is going to start sometime in december which i'm assuming that means we'll get a trailer around there so yay christmas present patty jenks knows how to treat us right i love it lauren you were going to say something uh no i i I just want to to say that yes it's it's an awesome poster and i did see some of the um the little boys on on twitter and elsewhere being like but this this poster isn't for me it's just like yeah no shit dude like it isn't actually everything is not about you exactly you know i i've seen so many guys that like and, and even some women were saying like you know maybe maybe you know this film is not for you maybe these things are not for you and then these guys get really really uh haughty about it and it's like no you it might not be directed at you. This is something that is okay. You can still enjoy it, but it might not be specifically directed at you. And they get so I like so all upset. kinds of stuff where I'm not the target audience, you know? <laughs> well, I, you know, I was talking with a friend of mine about this the other day, and I think we've talked about it a lot on this podcast of, of how often women and people of color and LGBTQ people, basically anyone who's not a straight white male, um, 
have had to identify with straight white men, have had to watch and experience and love things that are made for and by straight white men. And so when we begin to get things that are actually made for and by us, we're like, hey, this is really cool. This is really nice. But all the straight white dudes are like, how dare you not direct this at me? It's like, this is our lives, literally. Like every single thing that we have watched and that we love has been directed at you. Like, grow the fuck up. Kumail Nanjiani actually talked about that, I think, at the Oscars, if I'm not mistaken. He actually specifically talked yeah, about how, right. yeah, I had to grow up in a world where everyone I watched was white. And guess what? You can watch stuff by me now, too, and it's fine. Well, it, you know, it brings up this whole concept that we've always talked about of what is a guy movie and what is a quote-unquote girl movie. And... Wonder Woman, I remember going to see that in the theater with a pretty even ratio of men to women. So it's one poster. It's a one sheet with Wonder Woman on it. You wouldn't be asking uh, a poster of any other male-dominated movie not to have the lead on it, correct? I mean, that's like getting pissed that Indiana Jones's poster has Indiana Jones on it. Women aren't saying, well, it's obviously not for me. Well, and there's even one more step because some, a lot of the complaints that I heard have centered on this isn't the Wonder Woman that we were introduced to in Batman versus Superman. I'm like, oh, okay. So you're going back to the movie where she was first introduced, directed by a man as your, uh, as your standard of what she should be. That's not, yeah. that's not the case. Like, no, suck it up, guys. Yeah, I, I, given that Wonder Woman was such a popular film, you kind of expect them to go back to Wonder Woman. Right. Like, and, you know, if you've got a complaint... I don't know how you can make a complaint that that this poster doesn't represent that Wonder Woman, because, like you're saying, Kristen, it's a poster. Like, that's all that it is. We're not, we haven't even seen a trailer yet, so we have no idea what this film is going to look like. Um, but I, I also think that the undercurrent is that it's not a sexy poster. Mm -hmm. It's not, we do not have butt shots or cleavage shots. It's not shot as highlighting her sexuality in any sense. It's just showing her in much the same way as we would look at a, a poster of Thor or a poster of Iron Man or a poster of Superman. It's, it's pretty much the same approach. The, the other side of it is that it is very brightly colored and that tends to be something that, um, certain types of male fans particularly react against that this is viewed as girly at some level. I know that some of the um, coloration of uh, Captain Marvel was criticized for that, for being very bright and popping and associating all of those very neon colors with women and things that women are supposed to like. And that's what this poster is sort of doing. And so they're reacting to it as being like, no, no, I want it dark and gritty and sexual. And that's, that's not what it's doing, and that's not what it's going to do. Like, I can't imagine that this film is going to be Batman v Superman. This film is going to be a sequel to Wonder Woman, which is a different thing. I thought we'd start off on positivity. We are starting Turned off on positivity. Wrong. It's a great poster, <laughs> but, and Gal Gadot is awesome, and I can't wait for the Yes, movie. yes. But I, I mean, yeah. just, I meant more in the lines that men ruin everything good. <laughs> yeah. certain men certain men i mean even <laughs> but even as you're pointing out you know the the screening that you were in when you went to see wonder woman was pretty much evenly divided that that's that's also true of like when i went to see ghostbusters 2016 the audience for the most part was like half male half female and you know all different age ranges and that says it was the same thing with uh, captain marvel 
and I that and that says that at least the public, even though you've got these obnoxious boys on online, at least the public is going to see these films in pretty equal measure, and that there are men who are relating to them, and there are men who are interested in them beyond just how hot the lead character is. Well, and like the younger generation that's coming up too, because they're growing up in a world where it's more and more common to see female leads, to see people of color leading films, and so they're not going to be um they're not going to be this way like eventually this gross toxicity will will weed itself out and i say that because you know i spend a lot of time with my nephew who is going into high school this year he's turning 14 this summer and he loves the 2016 ghostbusters he's not really a fan of the 1984 ghostbusters he loves wonder woman and and so, I mean, it's like, it just, and he is such a boy. Like, I mean, he's super into boy stuff, but he also really likes these movies. And so I really see that, that the tide is changing on the younger, the younger gen- generation. And it does give me hope that this stuff is going to get better. Well, moving on to another bit of controversy. I say controversy with quotes because I didn't know... It was something that we needed to debate necessarily, but Booksmart, there has been backlash around it. Uh, Predominantly, it started with, as we talked about, the fact that it did not make a a lot of money. Uh, It's opening weekend, and people were saying that it was going to obviously have long-term repercussions for female filmmakers, and that slowly segued into Booksmart is bad because it doesn't represent every group. Now, there is valid criticism there. Um, it is an incredibly white film, as we... I, I don't think any of us hid that fact. You know, it, there are um, a couple of people of color, but they're not the leads in any way, shape, or form. They're supporting characters. Um, but it turned into this big thing about people not wanting to support it. Then it became, we have to compare it to other female filmmakers of color, which is, again, a valid critique because you have, obviously, studios deciding what they want to spend their money on, and a fair bit of that usually devolves into blatant sexism or racism. But it just became this big clusterfuck of you can't like Booksmart, um, which I just found to be silly. Like, I hate to throw it out there, but if we're going to get pissed about the lack of people of color representation... uh, there, I guess there were a couple criticisms lobbed about the LGBT characters, predominantly the male characters, but there's no disabled people in that movie. You don't see me bitching about it. I mean, I could, but I'm not. Um, and I say bitching about it in the sense that I think that it, it allowed certain groups, predominantly men, to kind of like glom on and give it shit um, unnecessarily. But it does bring up this question of what... I, I want to say Lauren wrote this because it sounds really good, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow it. But what we expect films and directors to do in terms of representation, I had a similar issue on Twitter where I was talking about Ma and how I appreciated that movie because it took the '70s psycho bitty thriller that is almost exclusively white women in the 60s and 70s and put it around a woman of color. Now, around the same time, Tate Taylor, who is the director of Mom, made some asinine comments about how he didn't see race in this movie um, because his best friend Octavia Spencer is in it and therefore it's not about race. Um, and that's 
something he can choose to ignore. Um, I believe it's evident in the film because all casting is intentional. And so as an audience, we naturally look at stuff that way. Um, but I appreciated that it was still taking a predominantly white genre and intentional or not injecting race in it. And I got a fair amount of criticism predominantly from women of color about how that was still wrong because it shouldn't be co-opting white genres, which again, valid critique, but it did make me think, okay, so then where is the line in terms of appreciating what a film does and what a film doesn't do? You know, how do we look at that? Um, What did you guys think about, about the, this book smart backlash that we saw over the last week? Uh, well, I mean, I, I think we talked a lot on Twitter and I got myself into a little bit of trouble um, because I, I used intersectionality incorrectly, which, you know, is, was absolutely true. I was wrong. Um, one of the issues that I had with the, the response to book smart, and I, I agree with you, there are, um, there are totally legitimate critiques to be made about this film. And the way that it represents race, the way that it represents uh, LGBTQ, I, I understand the actually the issue with particularly the the, the male, um, the gay male characters, because they're very stereotypical, uh, and they're full they're full characters. They're they're real people. They feel real. Like these are the kind. I mean, to to be honest, a lot of these people. One of the things I really liked about Booksmart was that a lot of these people were like, I feel like I knew these guys in high school. Um, and that kind of extremity, that tendency to, to fall into certain personas that are maybe not your full persona, but I totally get the critique that's like, okay, these guys are just sort of the, um, the stereotypical gay men, you know, the theater geeks, et cetera. And, and so I, I, I appreciate that. One of the issues that I had with the response to it was, First, that it initially seemed to start, and I may be I may be wrong on this, but this is where I saw it beginning, with Olivia Wilde, the director, promoting her film. And she said, We're getting beat at the box office. We want female, you know, female filmmakers, female-driven films to be uh, to be popular. We want studios to invest in them. Go see Booksmart. Now this this is a totally normal thing to say. She is a female filmmaker. It is a female-driven film. Um, and she's promoting her movie on Twitter, which is what many filmmakers do. Uh, and then to see then people being like, "How?" it was almost like a how dare she comment. And I was like, well, well wait a minute. You know, like the Russo brothers just began telling people to go see Avengers uh, Endgame a second time because otherwise when like avatar two comes out it might be beaten by that and, and i was like well so we're not really and, and the russo brothers got a little bit of critique from that but we're not really jumping on them but we are angry at olivia wilde for promoting her film and that seems like a double standard and it seems to get kind of mushed into the uh the other legitimate critiques of what Booksmart was doing. Uh, the second issue that I had was that that it was beginning to be treated like this is a zero-sum game. That if you have a film that is featuring women or featuring people of color, that there can only be one, right? And if this particular film does not do it well enough, does not do it correctly uh, across all things, and, and I'm sorry, there's no way in hell that every film is going to have perfect... LGBTQ representation, female representation, POC representation, 
um, disabled representation, trans representation, you know, all of those different kinds of representation that is definitely needed. No single film is going to be able to do that and also tell a coherent story. It's just not, it, it, it seems extreme to, to require that of a single movie. Um, and we can't then turn around and dismiss a film that does a lot of things really well and, and does other things not so well. Um, we can't just say like, okay, well, we're canceling this film or we're, we're kicking this film out because it doesn't do X to my liking. Uh, and, and the fact is there is space and there should be space for films like Booksmart and for films like Fast Color and for films like Wonder Woman and for films like A Wrinkle in Time, right? Those are all things that should be able to coexist with each other. They're not in competition with each other. Uh, they're telling different stories from different perspectives and that's really what the goal is at the end of all of this. So I get the, I get the frustration uh, that a lot of people had with Booksmart. And I think that that is a totally legitimate thing and something that we need to be able to critique. We need to be able to talk about those flaws. We need to not have to say, this is the perfect movie, no one can criticize it. Uh, but we also need to know where it does things correctly and say that, okay, it has these flaws, it also has these positives, and let's talk about the relationship between them and what the film is actually trying to do. Uh, so yeah, that, those were my thoughts. I may have like just confused everybody but <laughs> no I think that you explained it very well and I think that those are the the thoughts that we all had because we talked about it pretty extensively something else that I found interesting was um, one or two critics of color that I know that saw this movie you know back at like South by and stuff had praised it like everywhere they just were in love with this movie and when these these uh arguments started happening they were silent and it's like wait a second why aren't you jumping in and defending this or saying hey everything positive i said about it i may need to rethink a little bit like it, it's just weird and i mean sometimes i don't want to get involved in arguments either and i'll just kind of like sit back and watch it unfold but it just i don't know it's a little weird to me that if you love something so much, you're just going to let other people just trash it and not say anything. I don't know. It was, I'm thinking of one person in particular. I'm sure you know who I mean. But um, it's just such a weird thing. But but yeah, I think the biggest, the biggest issue I had in watching everything happen was this weird idea that this movie was expected to, like, represent everyone and represent everyone perfectly and because it didn't do that, it's a bad movie. It's like, well, wait a second. Okay, then what is a good movie? It's a good movie. Go see it again. Yeah, it is. It is. I did want to say something about Ma. Because yeah. I, I, think, I think that that is a, is a slight... It's a related but slightly different issue to Booksmart. And I, I will say this up front. I have not yet seen it. Right. So I'm just commenting on a general sense, not on specifics within the film. Because... I do not critique films before I've seen them. What? <laughs> Amazing. Wrong. I know. It's like I this is a controversial statement that upsets some people and I'm not entirely certain why, but there we go. Um yeah, one of the things that uh the, I think you were bringing up Kristen about 
the, the response to Ma is that I think even when the trailer came out, a number of people were saying like, oh, this looks like it's sort of an interesting inversion of the Mammy trope. And I think we even talked about it uh, around the trailer. And so like, so this is kind of an interesting approach. And then, and then there was a little bit of a pause because we realized that Tate Taylor directed it and it's, uh, you know, he's the guy that did the help. And so it's like, okay, well maybe, maybe that's not what's going to be happening. It sounds like to some, based on some of the reactions, it sounds like that he almost accidentally did that. Um, and I think that it's important even when a director says dumb shit about things and is just like, oh, I don't see race. I, you know, this wasn't intentional or anything. That doesn't mean that the film still doesn't do it. And we have this tendency even now to very much prize what the director or what the writer has to say about, um, about the, you know, the interpretation or the reasoning behind casting or the reasoning behind their film. And we really shouldn't, you know, Ma could be a ridiculously subversive film without intending to be one. In fact, a number of exploitation films are exactly like that. Um, and you can read, and you can even read these things against the grain. You can read them, the, the invention of a lot of, uh, of feminist theory, of queer theory, of race theories around film is very often about reading films against the grain, of seeing subversion and transgression in films that are otherwise not intended to be subversive or transgressive, but that can come out that way and can be read that way. And I think that that's just as important as what Taylor intended or didn't intend. So, you know, there, there's a whole debate to be had about it, but I think that there probably is a way to read a film like Ma as, as transgressive if, and, and subversive, even if Taylor was just like, no, not at all. It doesn't have anything to do with that. And I think that that's important to, to make a note of and not, again, to not just dismiss the film, but to actually be like, okay, what is this doing? Like, this is, this is actually interesting. Um, and yeah. it's an interesting use of tropes. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's a really valid point. And I think that's a really important point because so much of our understanding of the world, so much of the way we see other people, so much of the way we see ourselves is so internalized and subconscious and even unconscious that we do things without always understanding why we do them. And that includes writers and directors. They'll make decisions based on these really internalized understandings. And so even if he's not intending to make this a story that where race is a key component, it doesn't mean that it's not there. It's just something that he wasn't overtly setting out to do. Exactly. Uh, either way, go see Booksmart, support it. Yep. Go see Ma if you're into Octavia Spencer being crazy. Um, Luke Evans is still not. It's the funniest movie. Luke of the Evans year. still has not responded to that tweet he posted about that specific <laughs> scene in Ma. Um, and I feel like he sure wants everyone to think it's real. If, if it, he doesn't. You don't tweet something like that. Exactly. So I feel like he should just admit it and save us all a lot of late nights wondering if it was real or not. Just saying. Just saying. Um, <laughs> moving on to some questions. Uh, our first question is from at Rise of Sky Joker. Um, I believe this question was in response to our discussion about Tarantino last episode. But they asked, what is the funniest performance and the most emotional performance in a Tarantino movie? Do you guys want me to go first? Because I'm the only one that doesn't like, immediately wretch at the name Tarantino? <laughs> yes. 
Okay. Um. Oh God. So most emotional performance. I. I don't know what how we want to determine define emotional. So I'm just gonna say one of the best performances that I always cite is Pam Greer in Jackie Brown because she's amazing. And her scenes with Robert Forrester are the best in that movie. Um, just on a technical level, on a chemistry level, that movie's just great. Um, so I always uh, cite that out as it turn- a performance that affects me, that I, I really like root for and I get behind. Um, funniest performance. Oh, God. I don't know what if we mean like intentionally funny or not. Because like unintentionally funny i find to be eli roth and in inglorious bastards because i think you're supposed to take that character very seriously and i just find it ridiculous so i laugh but i don't think that's the intent um if we're going intentionally comedic I'm trying to think of other tarantino movies like there's only nine and i should know all of them and i just don't recall them um I thought of a movie and it turns out it's not a Tarantino movie, so never mind. Um, it was Gary Oldman in True Romance, and that's not a Tarantino movie. That's like discount Tarantino, but that's still a good movie. Um, so yeah, I, I can't think of one that's like supposed to be funny. So I'm just going to stick with Eli Roth in Inglorious Bastards. But I don't know if I'm supposed to be laughing at him or with him. I'm, I'm assuming at him. Um, and you guys have, have an answer for either, either question? Um, well, my funny one that came to mind first was actually also from Inglorious Bastards but it was Brad Pitt Um, oh okay I I think the way that he talks the way that he talks to people the way that he handles situations it actually the way he says Nazi oh my gosh yes killing Nazis (laughs) like oh yeah um so I, I I guess I'll go with that one and then Emotion. I love how this fine, fine Tarantino comedy in Glorious Bastards just pops up twice <laughs> on our on our list. I know. Um, for emotional, I don't know. I don't really feel a lot of emotions when I watch Tarantino films. Lauren, do you Does got an answer? Tarantino's not really big on emotions, no. is he? <laughs> uh, actually, I was thinking of I. I am one of the odd people out when it comes to the Hateful Eight. I actually enjoy the crap out of that movie, as problematic as it is. And one of my favorite performances in that film is Kurt Russell. Um, I don't know if that would be classified as uh, uh, as comedic or what, but he's he's fucking channeling John Wayne. And it took me a good 20 minutes as I was watching him. I was just like, he reminds me of someone. What the hell? And then I was like, oh my God, he's doing a John Wayne impression. And that just made the film for me. Like I, I suddenly really began enjoying it. Um, it's, an, it's a deeply unpleasant film. I'm not going to defend it in any way, but I also really like it. Uh, uh, yeah, I really like Brad Pitt in Inglorious Bastards. I mean, I, I think that um, the sort of tag team of John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson are just fantastic in Pulp Fiction emotional i'm having a really difficult time thinking of anyone that gives a really emotional performance in a tarantino film that's not what he does yeah. generally i mean i would say the the scene in the beginning of inglorious bastards when the family is being killed and you've got Susanna downstairs like hiding the there i think there's some emotion in that scene that's yeah. really good and she's really good but overall i, I don't think 
Yeah, they're definitely emotional. Yeah. They're definitely emotional moments. Mm-hmm. And, like, there are also some scenes in Django Unchained yeah. uh, that have kind of a similar resonance, but it, just in terms of a performance, I'm I'm completely blanking on anyone that I would just be like... Yes, she she or he gave a fantastic other yeah I mean Pam Greer I think but but Pam, we just love Pam Greer in general I think that she's always a fantastic actress whatever she's doing so moving on to another question that we got uh, this one comes from Mason per year at Unstoppable Rant with Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson starring in Men in Black and talking about remaking The Bodyguard. Are there any other things you'd like them to star in together? Can I just say, they talked about wanting to remake The Bodyguard, and I'm so for it, but, I mean, Tessa would be the the Kevin Costner role, right? And then Hemsworth would be the Whitney, right? Like, we all agree. Okay. Okay, as long as we're all in agreement, I want him to be, like, a Britney Spears-esque, like, I don't know. I don't want to go boy band, but I, I want him to be, like, totally shallow He's pop like star Timberlake. And... yes yes but i want like justified era justin timberlake not like whatever the fuck he's doing now with that last album justin timberlake um not so man in the woods make that happen <laughs> um but any other things i want them to start together i know uh william Bibiani said a thin man remake which i have su- i support anybody Anybody hot who wants to be in a Thin Man remake um, that's not Johnny Depp, um, who actually had the rights for a long time. Uh, so I, I, I'm down with that. Um, I'm trying to think of any other, like, remakeable things that I would be down for. Just, like, I would love to see them in a big, gaudy costume drama. I don't know what. Like, maybe remake, like, a Douglas Sirk movie or something. I would support that. I support anything they want to do together. If I, t- any other things I want them to star together, I don't want to say porn, but I mean, if that was what they <laughs> wanted to do, um, I support that as well. So yeah, those are my answers. Uh, either one of you guys have something you want to see them star in together. I want to see them star in a movie where they are marooned on an island. It's just the two of them. And whatever happens, happens. I know that um, Tessa was telling, there's that clip that was going around where she's telling Chris Hemsworth about how her and him and Brie Larson need to star in a movie where they're like a love triangle. And all I kept thinking was, yes, just remake Design for Living. If anybody's seen that movie. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, If anybody's seen it, it's a great movie. You should go watch it right now. It's Ernst Lubitsch, I believe, um, from the late is it late 30s um early thir- i think it's early 30s because it's pre-code. it's, it's got to be early 30s yeah, yeah it's pre-code yeah. um but it's it's miriam hopkins gary cooper and friedrich march and they are uh thruple and it's great <laughs> um so yeah i would i would watch that i would watch them in a remake of design for living uh lauren what what answer do you got i i've been like racking my brain over which one i wanted to propose because i just really want chris hemsworth to remake like all of the marilyn monroe films as the marilyn oh monroe my god character. yes um well so- i did tweet <laughs> I, I did tweet about him and army hammer starring in a remake of gentlemen prefer Blondes. see that was one that i was thinking of but i was like okay well who would be like the jane russell character um army hammer would in my in my dream army hammer is dorothy the jane russell and hemsworth is lorelei lee um but that that being said the the men in that movie are not um 
particularly interesting. So like casting Tessa Thompson in, in like the, what's his name? Gus as the Gus character uh, could be interesting, but our, maybe Niagara. They could do like a gender swap. Yeah, Niagara. gender swap Niagara. Ge- <laughs> it would be fascinating to try to gender swap some like it hot. I mean, that would just be all kinds yes. of interesting gender integrations. Like Seven that. year itch would be great and try to find a way to recreate the white dress in the subway <laughs> some way. So yeah, so I would just like to propose that Chris Hemsworth just remake all of Marilyn Monroe's films as the Marilyn Monroe part. Um, and gender swap everything. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I support all of that. I support it. Um, so we have one more question. This one comes from Brendan Agnew at BLC Agnew. And he asks, best use of otherwise bland or boring actors in surprisingly good movies. I believe this is in response to um, Lauren commenting that Taryn Edgerton, it was a sentient can of baked beans regarding, <laughs> and then she saw Rocketman. And I believe she's, well, we're going to talk about Rocketman in a second, but she changed her mind a little bit. So this is tough because bland performance in a surprisingly good movie. Um, I always say, and it might be one that I shouldn't use, um, Henry Cavill in Man From U.N.C.L.E., because I believe a lot of people thought that he was just the pretty guy who had no panache, and Man From U.N.C.L.E. changed that a lot. Um, So that's the one I'm going for, but I don't think it's as deep as I could have gone. Um, Do either one of you have an answer? Uh, I'm trying trying to think of of actors that I otherwise consider to be bland. Um... Because the the one that keeps on popping into my head is Taryn Edgerton. <laughs> yeah, Taryn Taryn Edgerton is a, a great example of of the proof of the validity of this question. But I think you can really say it with like any bland white guy. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, but I'm trying to think of other like actors that I'm just like, God, you're so boring, and for some reason you like really work in this film. I mean, I think that you know, Army Hammer has actually grown on me in terms of of his blandness um he initially appeared to be very bland oh one of one that i really liked and very few people saw but um i believe it was jay courtney actually was in a movie called the exception with um and it's it's a very bizarre film particularly to watch in in our contemporary moment but he gives a fantastic performance and he's otherwise a very interchangeable actor i think we've talked about how interchangeable he is um and the other one would be uh, an actor that I think is actually fairly underrated, Garrett Hedlund in Mudbound. Um, again, Ooh. a very good, like he gives a fantastic yeah. performance and it might be just that there are some actors that we consider to be bland and part of that is because they keep on getting cast in relatively bland roles, but they're actually very good actors. Uh, and so so people like that, I think, yeah, Garrett Hedlund and, and Jay Courtney. <laughs> I do want to throw out, now that I think about it, we've already brought his name up once, but Luke Evans. I hate Luke Evans. Um, he knows what he did. Um, and What did he I, do? I that he exists. <laughs> um, but I, I gen- generally hate him, but I saw Professor Morrison in The Wonder Woman when it came out. And I was like, okay, okay, you can act. Like, you have, a you know, yeah. ability to create emotion. Like, Good for you, guy. Good for you. 
That's the, literally the only props you'll ever hear me give Luke Evans uh, on the show. <laughs> so yeah, so we're gonna talk about some movie reviews, um, and don't don't think I forgot what's on the agenda. Um, but I'm just gonna segue everything nicely. Um, so I know Lauren, you saw some movies this week. Uh, you want to throw out some some mini reviews of what you saw? Yes, I, I saw. I got to go to the Berkshire International Film Festival, which is a a very sweet little film festival up in um, uh, Great Barrington, Massachusetts, where it's close to where one of my friends lives. And so we went up and uh, hung out, and I got to I got to watch Martin Scorsese talk about films and film preservation and the relationship between Raging Bull and the Red Shoes which was just fantastic and fascinating and really kind of reminded me of how great film can be and how, um, how, how many influences can get incorporated into a director's work, even without, you know, necessarily noticing it because he talked about, you know, scenes in Raging Bull that were directly influenced by the Red Shoes, which is, a, you know, 1948 Michael Powell, Technicolor Michael Powell film about ballet and, you know, you're talking about a 1980 film uh, about a boxer <laughs> that is very, very violent and everything. But it, it was interesting to hear him talk about the, the integration of, um, of, different, uh, of different films within his own work and also how that doesn't turn into pastiche, but is actually uh, just influential. So it, he, he was fantastic. It was fascinating to listen to him. Um, then I also got to see The Farewell, which I reviewed on Citizen Dame, and I did love. It has some great elements to it, and uh, Aquafina gives a, a great performance. She really proves that she that she's not, you know, comedy is difficult, but she doesn't just do comedy. She's a very good dramatic actress, um, and it was a really fascinating film. I also got to see a very small film called Premature, which um, I, I'm going to be writing a review of, I think, in the coming week. And this is a film about a, uh, a young, uh, an African-American teenager, and it's the, the summer before she goes off to college and she falls in love with a young man. And it's about their relationship and her kind of coming to terms with who she is and who she wants to be. Uh, the third film that I saw was Ophelia, which I know that Kristen uh, is going to have a review of before long. I, I... I will say that I appreciated what the film was trying to do. It is a retelling of Hamlet from the perspective of Ophelia, which, and, and it's based, I think, on, on, a, on a novel originally, um, which is a really interesting idea. And I greatly applaud uh, any director and any, any writer trying to approach Hamlet in that way and you know, really give voice to this female character who's very often sidelined or abused, etc., that being said, it really did not work for me. Uh, it came off to me more like, actually, my friend Nanina said this, so I will give her credit. It came off more like a, a 14 year old's fan fiction version of Hamlet than any sort of really, you know, the really interesting psychological understanding of the characters or investigation into them. Uh, I know that there, you know, I have a feeling that Kristen is going to disagree with me on this, um, but that was that was definitely our response to it of, of like good idea, not terribly well executed. And, and for some reason, Clive Owen wears this ridiculous wig. He plays Claudius and he wears this wig. And the entire time I was just like, why did you do that to Clive Owen? 
how dare you do that to Clive Owen? Uh, so it was a really fun experience. It was nice going to the Berkshire Film Festival. Um, I, I actually encourage people to go to it. It's a, it's a much smaller film festival, but it is a beautiful area of Massachusetts. And they do get some really interesting films. Uh, and, and they had Martin Scorsese this year, which was just fascinating to watch. I liked Ophelia a lot. I know you did. That's so cool. I'm so glad you got to see The Farewell. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was glad. To, that was actually one of the major films that I wanted to see. Uh, and it was really great to see it. And That was one of my two favorite films at Sundance. So. Well, I'll, th- I'll throw in, since we have a couple of seconds, I will throw in that I I enjoyed Ophelia a lot. Yes, it is fan service, but I liked what it did with the women and fleshing them out and giving them character. And yeah, Clive Owen's wig blows, but... <laughs> I would also say Daisy Ridley's wig is unfortunate as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I do, I, to give it some credit, it has some beautiful cinematography. Yes, and I, I love the score, which they actually took yeah. the dialogue from Hamlet and made it music, um, which I really, really appreciate. I mean, it gets into some soapy stuff, but I was down down for it yeah you 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 were down for it I, I you know actually I have to again I have to say I was like my Nanina actually said to me she's just like I knew when the film lost you like I could feel it <laughs> and 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 I was admittedly it was a it was a packed house like there were a lot of people there and I was admittedly sitting there going like I am not going to start giggling because that is mean and that is not cool and I should not start doing that but but Nanina was like, well, as soon as I accepted what the film was doing, she enjoyed it more than I did, I think. I just left going like, well, that was stupid. <laughs> uh, so I, I admit that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a Shakespeare snob. And some of the things that the, the film did, I was just like, are you, are you kidding me? Some of the eyeliner, I mean, come on. Never besmirch guyliner, okay? Yeah, but why did it even happen? Like, that was the thing, it was just like, that's why I was saying that this is, you know, a, 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 a fan fiction version of Hamlet. It's just like, Hamlet's suddenly gone emo. Like, okay, I, how am I Ham- even Hamlet is pretty that? emo, though. I mean, like... Yes, but he doesn't go, he's like... Well, wasn't Hamlet always a little emo? Yes, but he emo? doesn't go, in, like, in the play, he's like, <laughs> I shall now paint my eyes dark, you know? And, and it's just like, yes, I am supposed to be dark and brooding now. Um, I mean, there were all kinds of... There were all kinds of issues. I don't know. Maybe I'll write a review of it uh, for another site or something like that. Just break down all of the problems that I had with this film. Yes. But, um, you could do a great com- yeah. compliment. You guys can have dueling yes, reviews. Yes, I was going to say dueling reviews. Um, so <laughs> uh, our next review that we have, some somebody put down Always Me- Be My Maybe. I did not see it. Oh, I had just marked that down in case we... Oh, you didn't watch it? No, I didn't. I gotta get to... I've been busy, Karen, okay? <laughs> oh, that movie was so cute, though. Keanu Reeves. Yes. Oh, oh I love him so Keanu much. Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves Talk amongst yourselves about, about the movie that I did not see. Keanu Reeves playing Keanu Reeves was, like, stuff that I didn't even know I needed, and I needed it. But also... Just the the story itself was really cute. I mean, this movie isn't um, story wise; it's 
it's not anything like super new or groundbreaking, but it's just another one of those really good rom-coms that makes you happy, and it's about Asian American people, and I I just think it's so well done. Randall Park and Ali Wong yeah. are the two leads, and um, yeah, they play this. They play these two people who were best friends when they were kids and then after graduation they kind of went their separate ways and haven't spoken in years and she's gone on to have this big career as a celebrity chef he's still living at his dad's house and works with his dad and um he just kind of his mom died very suddenly when he was a kid and uh, or when he was in high school and he just never really grew up after that uh it just kind of stunted him and um but the two of them reconnect and and uh at first it's very like they remember exactly why they stopped talking to each other but it's just so cute and and uh watching them like kind of find that that friendship again and find that relationship again it's just it's just a really joyful movie i i really enjoyed it and then yeah keanu reeves is just perfection yeah, I, I loved it. Um, one of the things I actually really liked about it was that, you know, you've got you've got these tropes, you know, so the woman, the woman who leaves and becomes incredibly successful, but is maybe not as happy in her personal life. And the guy who stays at home and, you know, just kind of smokes weed with his friends and, and that sort of thing. But it also gave those characterizations depth like she she's successful and she's good at her job and she loves her job. And that's something that she values and it's something that she's never asked to give up throughout the entire film. She doesn't have to abandon that success in order to be with him. Um, and, and he, and there actually is a reason why he is kind of in arrested development and it's his, uh, and it's because he thinks he needs to take care of his father. And so, and he's kind of afraid to move outside of that because he's afraid of maybe losing some of the things that he has. He's afraid that his father can't exist, can't like live without him and stuff like that. So it's a much more mature look at those kinds of tropes where it's not just, you know, the kind of slacker dude and the successful woman that, you know, fall in love or that bring each other, that like he brings her down to his level or she brings him up to her level. It's much more... um, them sort of feeling their way out and having reasons why they made the choices that they did. And then it's just funny as hell. I mean, everything with Keanu Reeves is hilarious and I, mm-hmm. props to him. Um, <laughs> but the two of them are just fantastic together. I love some of the secondary characters. I love his friend uh, who like, plays uh, plays guitar in his band. And I love her assistant who's been like her friend since high school. And that all of those little dynamics are just loads of fun. Like I like, I like the one woman who's designing the, the interior of the restaurant and, you know, is just so starstruck by her, all of that stuff. Yeah. And it's all integrated really nicely and it's very charming. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Well, and like the, just the depth to where, um, you know, she was always over at his house when they were kids because his mom really made her feel like she was part of their family and she didn't feel that uh, from her own parents. And it's funny because then it's like you see her parents and they seem really excited about what she's doing, but you realize it's like it's really they're more just excited to have a celebrity daughter than anything else. And, and then like with him and his dad, it's 
yeah, he's there because he thinks his dad needs him, but I think it's also really because he knows he needs his dad, and he's afraid of losing his dad, like he lost his mom, and, and yeah, I just, I really love those parent, parent relationships, and, and just a different view of relationships that Asian families have between parent and child, because so many of the stereotypes we see are, you know, that, that notion of the tiger mom or whatever, and just seeing the dynamic that, especially that he has with his father and with his mother, uh, is just, it's such a beautiful, warm relationship. And I, it just, it, yeah, I loved it so much. It made me happy. Yeah, you need to see it, Kristen. Yep. I will get to it as soon as I get out of whatever I'm in right now. So, yeah, I, I have it on my list. It's on my list. Um, so, and we all saw Rocket Man this week. All three of us. Yes, we Yay! did. Um, I want to let Lauren go first because she had been talking about for a while the sentient can of Heinz Baked Beans known as Taron Edgerton. And... What did you think of him after all was said and done, Lauren? <laughs> did he do Elton John I still, justice? I still think he's kind of a sentient can of Heinz baked beans, but he's a sentient can of Heinz baked beans that can sing. And I was very impressed by that. Um, yeah, in all honesty, like I actually think he gave a great performance and he gave a very a surprisingly nuanced performance um, for such a you know big and kind of extreme figure uh, in rock and roll. Uh, I, I enjoy, like, I, I expect, I actually expected to enjoy the film, um, based upon all of the reviews that had come out about it and the way that people had talked about it. So in going into it, I was like, I think that this is going to be fun at the very least. And it was, it's, it's loads of fun. I loved the integration of the music. Um, I like the fact that it was less than Bohemian Rhapsody. It was much more like a musical and actually put John's songs to portions of his life and um and integrated those songs into his existence and into his experience and i liked that kind of free-flowing nature of the film uh i mean i we, we talked about some of this on the slack I, li- I liked the fact that it didn't shy away from some of the uglier stuff that he went through and and of the fact that i think you mentioned Kristen, that he uh that he actually enjoyed a lot of it that he liked the, the drugs that he did, that he liked the excessiveness of his lifestyle for a while. And then that was something that he had fun with. And then it wasn't just like, so, so often in these stories, it's very much like, you know, descent into drug addiction, descent into sex addiction, et cetera. And this was much more like, no, this was a lot of fun. And, but now it's reached a point where it's not fun anymore. And that's what needs to change. And, you know, his whole process of learning to accept himself and learning to like himself for the person that he is. Um, so yeah, I do think that Taron Edgerton gave a great performance. Richard Madden is great. I'm certain that we're going to talk about him a little bit more. Uh, Jamie Bell was fantastic. The entire cast was really good. Just, um, just right across the board, all of the secondary characters. I liked the fact that there weren't tons of like, um, cameo, like, celebrities of the period making cameos by which i mean they they didn't cast someone as mama cass or Jimi hendrix or anything else like you you kind of saw these figures off to the side that might have been them but that wasn't what the movie was really about the movie was about elton john and about his internal experience and and his his life and how he came to be elton john 
and I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think this, there were some hokey bits, but I kind of expected that. The editing was actually good editing. There was actual <laughs> editing in this movie. Like, not just tons of editing, but actual editing that contributed to the movement of the plot and the characterizations. It was, it was so exciting to see. So, um, yeah, I, I really liked it. <laughs> I was so happy to see, you're, you're right, you bring up the fact that I was just happy to see a movie where it wasn't a sanitized, obviously sanitized, look at Elton John's life. I know when this was announced, my mom was the first one to say, oh, so they're just not going to talk about, like, any of the drugs and the sex that he had in the 70s. And they did. They did a lot. Uh, there is a whole song in a gay cocaine orgy, and I was just like... What is this amazingness that is happening? Um, I loved that it was as honest as it probably could have been. I mean, I'm sure Elton John held some things back, um, but it was pretty, pretty blunt, um, which I appreciated. I appreciated not seeing a movie where the other band members were like, we went home to our wives every night. We didn't do anything bad. Other people did, not us. Um, like there is some personal responsibility that is accepted in this movie. Um, you are right that there are some characters that um, are tokey. Uh, I I want to say I love her, but Bryce Dallas Howard is horribly miscast in this movie. <laughs> She's so bad. Um, but yeah, I if somebody told me that uh, Elton John biopic was going to be in possibly in my top ten of the year right now, I would have laughed in everybody's face because I'd have been like, "Are you serious?" Like it is just a phantasmagoria of awesomeness um i compared it a lot to the jersey boys movie um only this is way better but there were elements of that in this film and i appreciated it a lot karen you said you were super excited about this all year and you didn't want to be well okay no i didn't want to admit it because it was getting so much crap from people that i was like okay i'm just gonna not admit that i'm really excited about this movie i'm a huge fan of elton john i've actually been thinking for a while that taron Egerton has great performance in him he just needed the right role and uh when i saw the first teaser for this i was just like this this could really be something but everyone was just dumping on it so much that i was like i'm just gonna be quiet you know but then uh, about, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks before it came out, I finally was just like, you know what? No, fuck it. I'm re- really excited for this movie, guys, and I'm going to admit it. And you, Kristen, were like, oh, Karen. No, no. <laughs> and um, I'm just happy to see that I was right and you were wrong. This has been a very weird year, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. If anybody had told me that an Elton John movie was going to be in my 10 and that I might be excited about a Terminator movie and that Rob Stark, King of the North, was going to possibly be number one, I'd have laughed at everybody, okay? I'm sorry. Yeah, but, well, so here's what I... I mean, I loved Rocket, Rocket Man. I thought it was really well done. Uh, I agree with pretty much everything that you guys said, although I don't think that Bryce Dallas Howard was miscast, and here's why. Unlike other biopics especially about musicians i mean they the the genre tends to be either a critical like we're gonna show you all the terrible stuff these people did or how terrible their lives turned out because they did all these bad things or just like a big glowing like these guys are awesome you know or in the case of bohemian rhapsody where 
the band, the surviving band members, were so involved in crafting that story that it's such a, a fairy tale. And it's basically, to me, Bohemian Rhapsody is not a Queen biopic. It's a Freddie Mercury story told by people who want you to think certain things about him. And going into Rocket Man, I was concerned because of the fact that I knew Elton John was an executive producer. I was concerned because I knew that he had, to some extent, the same level of creative control that the guys from Queen had over Bohemian Rhapsody. So, you know, you don't know what you're going to get in a movie like that. But what I saw in Rocket Man was I felt like I was watching a memoir. And that to me makes this really sets it apart from other biopics because this is it really does feel like it's Elton John's story from his point of view the way he remembers it not holding a lot back and the reason I say that I don't feel like Bryce Dallas Howard was miscast was because I feel like she portrayed his memory of his mother and I think that she's kind of supposed to be a little bit of a caricature because his memories of his mom and his relationship with his mom were so crazy and chaotic that I think that she kind of fits the version of his mom that he wants us to see and understand. And I think that you get that with, you know, Richard Madden. And it's so funny because he plays the same character that Aidan Gillen played in Bohemian Rhapsody. They both play Joe Reed, but you get this like hot version of him, you know? Uh, and then Jamie Bell is just so great. Like the casting across the board, I thought was was actually really good, and I, I liked what each of those actors, what each of those characters, was doing with their roles. I loved the integration of the music. I I did think it was a little weird that they kind of forgot they were in a musical at some point, and there's like a whole section where they yeah. don't do anything. My mom, that was my mom. All. My mom would like to share. <laughs> My mom would like to share that her biggest complaint was that there was not enough music towards the second half of the movie. Yeah, but but I thought that was okay. And then as far as the drug use, like some of the complaints I heard about the movie from people who saw it before I did, um, some of the criticisms I'd heard was, well, this never shows Elton John hit rock bottom. It, of course, it's, you know, it starts off with him in rehab and it goes back and forth and it's like him telling the story while he's in rehab but it never shows him hit rock bottom never shows how bad things got with because of drugs and I'm like but that wasn't his story he never really hit rock bottom he took care of things before it got to that point and I was talking to Kristen about this you know the other day but for Elton John and the way that it's presented in this movie it's the drugs were really kind of his way of treating his bigger issue it wasn't the drugs weren't really his problem his real issue was depression and insane loneliness, like really intense loneliness. And so he, he took care of that. He, he medicated himself by, you know, using cocaine and all this other stuff. And so once he got to the point where he was able to start loving himself and accepting himself, he didn't need the drugs anymore and he was able to get clean. And that's why he's been able to be clean for 30 years. So, um, yeah, I thought it was really, really well done. I loved it. And I'm going to go see it again, maybe this afternoon. So I do have to throw out that I love what this movie does with the gaze. There is just so much like thirst gazing at people. I'm sorry from, I, I misinterpreted the gaze. You right said there. gaze. Yeah. I tried to emphasize the Z. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. That I too. love it. 
Then, yeah, exactly. This is both incredibly gay, and there is a lot of male gaze and female gaze. Um, which I dug all of it. See? I kept it together. God. Y'all thought I was gonna have my weird rant, okay? But I didn't. I didn't even mention anybody at all. <laughs> <laughs> Very proud of myself right now. I have to say, I'm a little concerned that, that like, what set off your Richard Madden thing was that character. That's okay. a little troubling to me. Okay, I, I, let me explain something. I uh-huh. guess I have to give context. I have to give context now, okay? So, this has been festering, okay, since when the fuck did Game of Thrones start? Like, whatever, a long, long time ago. Um, and I maintain, I watched those, like, what first, as Karen would say, first three seasons, uh, and I was like, awesome, and then they killed him off, and I was like, spoiler, in case you didn't know that, um, and I was like, fuck this show, I'm done. Uh, yeah, so, I had just kind of, like, went on living my life, and then Cinderella came out, and I was like, awesome, this is back, and then I just went on living my life. And I have no idea what happened. Maybe it was the fact that he just, like, smiled a lot. Or he had his original accent. Or he was in pants that were so goddamn tight, you can't help but be concerned about his circulation, okay? But the point is, or the fact that he played an asshole. I don't know, but it... The fireworks went off in my brain, and now I am a lost cause. And I don't care. That's where I'm at. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I, it's, I'm sorry. My mom looked at me and knew right away. She's like, I should have known. Tight pants, open shirt, total asshole. It's you. I know. It's my thing. Okay. God. I mean, I it's not like, like I have plans Madden to go see already. it again. <laughs> <laughs> I liked Richard Madden already. The one that caught me by surprise was Jamie Bell. Because, like, I've only seen him as just this, like, cute, whatever. But this movie, I was like, oh, my gosh, I think I might love him a little bit what happened <laughs> i like jamie i've always liked jamie bell i think that he's he's very sweet and he plays a sweet character in this he does he does i think but that I that's part like, of it yeah but he's also a little bit edgy too because i mean he's always with different girls and stuff so it's like he's a really sweet character but it also doesn't pretend that he's just all mr innocent either so i like that so yeah go see rocket man you might, if you, if you're in the LA area and you need a friend to go see Rocket Man with you, I mean, I'm available. I just, just saying, I mean, I'm not obsessed. I can quit anytime I want. Nobody cares. It's not full Burnthal level yet. Yes, it is. <laughs> <sighs> okay. I mean, we vowed that we would, I would never go full Burnthal after 2018, but you know, rules are meant to be broken. So uh, I think that's going to close out this episode of citizen dame um i did not remember to give anybody's twitter handles last episode i'm not going to do that again um lauren where can fans find you online i am at lh business and karen peterson i I think that karen karen cannot hear us anymore karen is at karen m peterson okay um so you can uh also get in touch with the podcast at our official twitter which is at citizen dame pod we are on Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod, and we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. If you're old school and you want to email us, you can do that at citizendamepod at gmail.com. We have our official website where we have movie reviews, our regular top fives, all sorts of stuff. That's citizendamepod.com. Uh, once again, please remember to enter our contest, hashtag what's in the bag, win some good prizes. That's going to close August 29th. 
Um, if you want to support us with your money, you can do that, uh, as always, at patreon.com slash citizendame. Uh, once again, you get the episodes 48 hours early. We have pins. Karen and I do regular car critiques, all of that. Uh, if you want some merch, that's available at zazzle.com slash citizendame. And if you want to just kick us a couple of bucks, you can do that at ko-fi.com slash Citizen Dame. Um, I don't know what we have on tap. I know Karen is going to see Men in Black International this week. Um, Lauren, anything you're seeing this week? Uh, I'm going to try to see Late Night, and yes. I'm also going to try to see Ma. <gasps> have fun at Ma. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. I, I was like, that is Serenity. I feel like you might, if you love Serenity as much as I know you did, yes you'll probably yes. like this um <laughs> i will be in the midst of working through richard madden's filmography um so if you have things that you think i should see before everything else uh drop me a tweet uh i've been getting a lot of really good recommendations um so yeah that's gonna close out citizen dame episode 80 we will be back next week what's this hmm? number 11 in italy the song doesn't work, that's the problem. The record's coked out, M.O.R. The problem is you have never understood me and what I have to go through. And you know what? I should have sacked you when you left me. I am glad I left you. It means I can maintain some objectivity on your self-indulgent, myopic little world. Get in the studio and make some music or don't.